Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Better late than never, it's time for another flat chat. Uh, indeed, uh, eager consumers of this podcast, if such a person or constituency exists, uh, will have noticed we're running up a little bit late again. Uh, sadly, unavoidable, owing to various people being away at Grand Prix and indeed me being marooned on Madeira by a certain well-known holiday company, which shall remain nameless but rhymes with fooey. All these blunders, and yet this is one podcast where we are not going to be discussing anybody being fired. A whole few weeks have gone by in Formula One without anybody of note getting the tin tack. Then again, the season's not over yet. Although the championship battle almost is, in this month's GP Racing, we look at the rise and rise of Max Verstappen with words from the man himself. We also look at the global value of brand Verstappen itself with words from one of our guests. And enough of this waffle, let's introduce them. Uh, first up, the author of our Power of Max piece, uh, Mark Gallagher. Uh, very good to see you. Very good to know you got home from your holiday and that you overcame the inadequacies of the UK's air traffic control system brought to a standstill by one pilot wrongly filing his flight plan. <laughs> but uh, did he uh, uh, file the flight plan for a submarine, perhaps? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that that epic tale of how you got back is... Uh, it, it's, it's worthy of a, a travel article of in its own right. I have to say, uh, well done to you and the family for being highly innovative in working out how the heck to get back home again, albeit at great expense. Indeed. It's amazing what you can do when you, you know, the publishing industry being as it is, you take your work laptop with you on ho on holiday and it actually comes in useful when you're um, having to rebook at the last minute uh, ridiculously expensive hotels and flights and trains uh, with um, no backup apart from a brush off from what were they called again fooey yeah yeah by the way i um i i did share your predicament with none other than mika hakkinen to which his response was why doesn't he fly private <laughs> so there you go for a few, few for future reference codders just go and get yourself a private charter the next time there's a hiccup <laughs> 
do you know what I think I might just the um the 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 runway of course famously Funchal Airport used to be one of the most hazardous places to land owing to the mountainous landscape and the uh, the shortness of the runway and they basically doubled the length of it a few years ago by building an extension on stilts so you can you can safely land a 737 or, or whatever on there now provided one can actually take off from the UK so a private jet you'd imagine uh, would be child's play child's play absolutely you know yours for 35 grand you can get home <laughs> <laughs> so to that end to speak before i've been introduced which i know is a cardinal sin on podcast but i know someone who um when i was covering formula e formula e always used to sort of clash or overlap with le mans testing and obviously all the drivers would be would be sort of involved in both and so they offered a journalist who was covering both uh, formula e and WEC uh, a slot on their private plane as long as he could wire them fifteen thousand pounds within the next hour <laughs> So that's not really the journalist <laughs> whack. <laughs> dear, oh dear. Maybe, maybe in the in in what we might call the good old days, which uh, I, th- I think predated any of our existences, um, you might have been able to squeeze something like that on expenses. <laughs> but s- certainly not in the days. Can you imagine? Uh, if if you worked for Motoring News, as it was then known, and you had to approach the old man, Wesley JT. <laughs> uh, 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 sir, 15 grand, Could, can you wire it? Oh, boy! <laughs> I, I do know someone uh, who worked with me at Autosport who decided as a prank to file his company expenses um, with a private jet flight included just to see just to see what would happen and and what did happen was that he got called before hr to explain himself and uh, was given a was given a warning for wasting company's time <laughs> i think they were just they, they were just actually sorry he, he didn't put the flight he put the cost of the plane so they there would have been 27 million dollars out on the on that year's <laughs> on that year's figures he was really hoping that someone in admin would just type the number in and and file it away as an expenses claim but there we go didn't get through dear lord do you know before we move on um yes it, it is a cardinal sin for a guest to introduce themselves but you are forgiven Matthew. were you aware that apparently in the philippines in the 1980s there actually was a uh, a member of the catholic church who is cardinal sin and please tell me Cardinal Sin had a private jet, because that would be... <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. This, this would be going over the heads of people who think that potpourri is like a dried flower thing you put in your bathroom. But um, anyhow, dear, oh, dear, we actually went to the potpourri gag. No, no, no. Let's move on. Let's move on. We, we published this issue just ahead of the Dutch Grand Prix. Max continues to break records this season. Uh, what strikes you in our cover victory is how matter-of-fact he is about it all. Um, so the question is, um, as, as the, the guy at the front end of the mag said, is there any Verstop in him? The, th- the thing that I find very amusing about all of this is um, he just described the fact that it's, you know, that it's all terribly matter-of-fact from Max's perspective. I don't know if either of you find that the, the intonation in the way that Red Bull congratulate him over the radio, equally underwhelming. So it's it's gotten to the point now where it's, yeah, well done, Max, for another amazing drive. And that was really exciting. And everything in Christian's voice suggests that it's really not that exciting. Yeah. No, no one ever said to Shakespeare, oh, yeah, well executed, <laughs> Bill. 
Yeah, it's all, it, it's all a little bit predictable, I think, even on the Red Bull pit wall. I think maybe particularly on the Red Bull pit wall, they go into every race with a high degree of certainty over what the outcome will be. Yeah, I suppose, you know, like uh, any, any magician must run out of steam feigning surprise as they pull another rabbit out of the hat. I think the, the only person who'd look surprised when they'd pull a rabbit out of the hat for the 18,000th time would be Barry Manilow. <laughs> then again, he always looks surprised these days. Just to, just to move it on a little bit. Um, are, we, are we now getting to the point in the season where even like if Verstappen, you know, shunted at Zandvoort and broke a bone in his left hand and had to sit out a few races, he's still going to be world champion. And we've got past the sort of... Um, what would have been sort of a romantic symmetry of Monza and, and a Schlesser moment. So we're now getting to the point where actually there's sort of a, a curiosity in seeing Verstappen win everything just to be like, I was there. Because if if we can have an individual fantastic race, as Monza proved, Monza was a good race. And if Sainz had won it, that had been a nice nice sort of story on home. But in terms of like the bigger narrative, it doesn't, doesn't matter who who wins anymore Verstappen has got this title one up so let's just see him do everything and say for that slice of history we were we were commenting on it or we were we were writing about it does that does that work for you too well I suppose yes you could say you know, were people saying the same thing when Ascari was winning everything in 1952 to 1953 or indeed were they wasting everyone's time by saying well you know it's not nine consecutive races because um, of course there's the what will soon to be known as the historically anonymous Indy 500 that one has to uh, take into account uh, you know the, these periods of dominance historically they're certainly interesting when you're in the middle of them it's maybe a bit difficult for some people to sustain their interest and um, I don't know what viewing figures are like and uh, I, I hope people aren't unsubscribing from our magazine in droves we're certainly doing our best to uh, bring interesting stories out every month but certainly to the casual viewer the same guy winning week in week out it's a tricky narrative to sell and particularly you know with the mainstream media there are a lot of shall we say motorsport skeptics in there particularly the the national newspapers in the UK a lot of the sports editors hate Formula One and are looking for any excuse to bunk it off the page so you know you you, you watch the the TV news on a Sunday night and Max Verstappen wins another Grand Prix is tucked away right down the back of the sports bulletin just before the end finally of the news itself um so a lot of people might even have gone to bed by then so you know from, from the mainstream point of view it's a little bit not not to want to use the word that rhymes with the name of the tour company again fooey it's 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 a tricky sell I have to say, uh, you raise a really good point, Matt, because I remember being in the press centre in Monza in 88. I was covering uh, the, the World Championship as a journalist back then, and I remember the Schlesser-Senna moment, and there was a feeling that it was a really messy uh, outcome to what had been a stellar season, by both by McLaren and by... By Senna. And of course, the ultimate result of that race with Ferrari winning was kind of dressed up as a really poignant occurrence less than a month after Enzo had passed away. And, you know, it became a kind of tribute to Ferrari. But there there was a sense that it was just, it was just a mess, you know, with this, I mean, Schleser having been drafted into Williams and you know, Senna coming upon him at the chicane and then, you know, gone off. So, of course, within the media, we tend to kind of uh, 
rev everything up to to i mean we're, we're all all in the business of trying to sell i was working for a fleet street newspaper at the time so we were obviously tr- trying to make sure we got the most exciting headline out of every uh, of everything that happened and i think going back to that year you are right you know ron dennis was furious that they didn't just win every race that season he was really annoyed about the fact that there was one that got away from them and i think you're you're right there is unquestionably going to be some folk at Red Bull and amongst the Verstappen fan base who will absolutely want to see him just continue on his his winnings way, winning ways and the reality is we all know that it's it's highly unlikely that anyone is going to beat Max in a straight fight therefore the only way that someone else is going to win a race is if Max goes off whether in qualifying or the race uh, or has a reliability issue or some kind of torrential downpour that completely you know changes the face of face of a of, of a grand prix in in under all normal conditions it's difficult to see him not winning uh, well him and Sergio not winning all of the remaining races we do look into the issue um this month of max's kind of his standing globally commercially in fact you wrote the feature mark yeah what's significant about max is that some people view him as being commercially just basically a merch generator for the dutch public to buy orange shirts and let off smoke bombs but actually you know he is he is doing very well for himself out of a lot of what you might call slightly smaller deals but they're not that small in 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 the context of actually money being earned so he is actually properly commercially on his way to becoming a global megastar at some point in the not too distant future yeah i mean in the in the in the feature which everyone needs to go and buy a magazine and read it to to get all the get all the lowdown but i I did carefully think about the line that is in the in the feature regarding max being potentially the first billion dollar formula one driver in terms of his career earnings and the reason i say that is because you really don't need to sit in front of a calculator for very long to work out that if he's already been in formula one since the age of 17 even if you put in a sort of relatively modest trajectory in terms of his salary he's already well into nine figures hundreds of millions of dollars of of income during his career to date and he's got a very long way to go potentially i mean i think this is one of the interesting things about max saying he may not stick around that long because he certainly doesn't need to stick around in order to make serious money he's already made serious money and he will make serious money over the balance of his red bull contract of 2028 um but the fact is that if he decides, okay, I'll just you know I'll do a I'll do a Hamilton or I'll do an Alonso and I'll stay until I'm 38 or 40, I mean all bets are off. I mean his career earnings will just continue to rocket. And I mean we you know, you're up you're right, Collars, in what you say regarding the deals that he has. The deals that he has are not stratospheric, you know, Nike NBA style personal endorsement deals. But they are still significant. And when you start to add them up, if you've got 1.5 million here or 2 million there, or and this is on top of your salary, you can see that he's he's reached a point where, I mean, it's no wonder he looks so relaxed about everything in his life. He's literally in the class of his own 
in F1. He's got the best. He's got the best car. He's got the. He's, his head's in the right place. He's totally calm. He, he's not really being challenged. So Max is in a very comfortable place in his career. He knows exactly what's required of him, himself. He's he's he looks incredibly calm. I think anecdotally, and I didn't write this in the feature, but you know, for the sake of the podcast. People don't say to me they find... I would say people. People who are not diehard Max fans will say to me they find him not easy to engage with from a, as a casual viewer. People see him as... He's a little bit of an, an automaton. You know, he turns up, he does the job, he says the right things. There's not much more to it. And, and that's often given to me as a, as a kind of a criticism of Max, that maybe he doesn't have the, the Lewis Hamilton stardom. But of course, the Lewis Hamilton stardom is also interesting in that some people really love it and other and some people really don't like it. You know, some some people will say, oh, what's with the Lewis Hamilton fashion show each weekend? And other people say, I have to say more people than the critics say to me, isn't it, isn't it fantastic the way Lewis has just been, been his own man and how he... He he clearly enjoys all the other things that he does beyond Formula One, including his his love of fashion and music. Max is much simpler, and that's one of the reasons why when I was doing the piece with with Max, I spoke to a few people inside Red Bull um, and both the F1 team and the broader company. And one of the people I spoke to, who I've then quoted in the features, is David Coulthard. And I mean, David travels to the races with Max. Um, they travel from Monaco together. Um, and David gave me a little bit of sort of background on their relationship, which it, it, it's really interesting. I know David well. And when David says to me that what you see with Max is exactly what you get, he is totally driven by just being a racing driver. He doesn't want to do anything else. Um, he doesn't want to have huge outside interests. His his interest outside of Formula One racing is is more racing. Um, you know, be it you know driving driving another car somewhere else, or be it you know with his sim racing. So he he's just interested in racing. That's it. That's that's where his interest lies. And so he's he is in some ways diametrically the opposite of Lewis. You know, Lewis's way of switching off from Formula One is to immerse himself in music and fashion and, and, and his other hobbies. Max can't operate in that, doesn't want to operate in that basis. He doesn't want to switch off from racing because he loves the racing too much. I mean, that's literally what he what he most enjoys doing. So it's it's much more straightforward personality in that respect, not that multidimensional. And maybe that's one of the reasons why some people find Max too much of an automaton. You know, there's not much more to him than what you see. But by the way, what you see is, as we as we know, one of the greatest drivers of the modern era, and a guy who, yes, could easily just keep on his winning ways for the the balance of this season. I don't think Max is worried about his marketability globally. I don't think his manager is worried about his marketability globally because he has, as I say, his career earnings are outstanding. He's got his endorsement contracts. There will be more. He is obviously a total superstar at home in the Netherlands. Um, I spent my summer holiday in the Netherlands, um, and I've tweeted about the fact it, it's it's impossible to go into almost any store of any kind and not find someone uh, using a Max Verstappen point of sale display, be it Red Bull, be it Jumbo Supermarkets, or you know any number of other brands in in the Netherlands who have somehow tapped into him through partnerships, etc. So. 
again, at home in the Netherlands, he is every bit the superstar there, um, as Lewis Hamilton is in the UK, possibly even more so, if I may say so. And that's only because Lewis has a lot of competition from a lot of other, you know, top sports stars here in the UK. Plus, you know, you've got Premiership football here. Uh, Whereas in the Netherlands, Max is it. Um, So you go into a filling station in the Netherlands, you've got a giant cutout of Max Verstappen greeting you. Um, And, you know, when you go in to put fuel in your car. So he is um, in, in Max Verstappen world achieving everything that he wants to achieve, ticking every box in terms of financial reward. He doesn't need more. And I, and he's not interested in the, the sort of the Hollywood superstardom um, factor. That that's, doesn't hold any flavour for him, really. It's funny, isn't it? In our other feature this month, I think it was Fritz van Amersfoort is quoted as saying that, you know, Max is now so successful, the Dutch have forgotten there's a national football team. Now, Matt had the pleasure and the privilege i hope of going to the dutch grand prix so very much at the eye of the hurricane as it were can can you give us a flavor of what it's like to be in in that space i mean i please tell me it was less hideous than last year's austrian grand prix where it was basically like sodom and gomorrah on the campsites well, compared to our experience from the Red Bull Ring, as you're right, there are fewer people throwing up in plant pots. <laughs> However, I did see two pairs of um, heavily soiled boxer shorts, curiously positioned only about a foot away from their respective porter cabins. <laughs> so it was from out of the sicky frying pan into the into the to the <laughs> fire, I think. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I actually found it quite amusing that um, in when Verstappen is recalling in the cover feature, sort of the return to Zambor in 2021, one of the things he highlights was that well, the crowd was well managed, the great unwashed didn't get too close to it, which I thought was quite <laughs> amusing because Verstappen doesn't, he doesn't engage too much with the fans. He doesn't go above and beyond on that front, which is which is fine. But yeah, they he's he's a complete um, hero around those parts. Every, you know, Zambor, the town of, it's like, you know, if Blackpool or Hans Danton had a Grand Prix, it's... Um, it's quite like an in- incongruous location for it. But every every sort of flat, every seaside flat has a Verstappen banner, checkered flag hanging off it. All right, we've just... Uh, Nick DeVries had just been sacked, so he didn't have much sort of national competition for, for real estate on the balconies and with the bunting. But just just everywhere, as Mark says, every every fuel station. I actually think in, in this country now, he's probably second only to Hamilton, but for a completely different reason, not because of his following or because he's appeared on Graham Norton. It's just, I think it's repetition as a form of sort of notoriety, isn't it? The fact that he is at the end of every bulletin having won every race. That's why he's sort of being slowly ingrained into the public consciousness. Um, but the, the Dutch Grand Prix was, was you know, interesting, uh, I think. You know, the, uh, I apologise to listeners now, but the Max, 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 Super Max, and the da, 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 Max Verstappen tune just going on repeat, uh, which I find it quite amusing when on the grid they then uh, they played a song, a popular song, uh, made famous by Tick and Tot, uh, about Ferrari. I thought that was quite funny that, you know, maybe last year they wouldn't have done that when Leclerc was breathing down Verstappen's neck a bit, bit more uh, closely. But... Um, and well, sorry, it's a bit of a ramble, but when I went in 2021, a few weeks before, they'd said uh, we're going to cap attendance. I think it was 60% or two thirds because of because of COVID. So actually on the TV footage, they use really cute camera angles to do sort of 
sort of wide, wide shots of the grandstands from a sort of 45 degree angle. So it looked like they were packed when actually, you know, they were, you could spot the empty seats. Whereas this year they were absolutely rammed. Everyone was a bit like, um, a bit like sort of when Norwich City were in a relegation battle and to sort of drum up the atmosphere, they give them those clapper fans thing. Here they put flags on everyone's seats, so they they you know did the did the Dutch flag and the atmosphere was mega. But on on the whole, yeah, well well behaved. I didn't see too much apart from the sword under crackers. I didn't I didn't see uh, I didn't see too much uh, bad behaviour, which is nice. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, that's certainly not one for the laundry list, is it? <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I, I failed to see the Dutch Grand Prix because um, when having laboriously made my way home from uh, uh, Madeira, <laughs> we, we found that our skybox had um, died in our absence. So, um, yeah, that was that was gone. Should have should have left the pool area and gone to watch it in the aptly named local bar just up the road. Uh, but we did manage to put a rocket up the backside of the skybox and watch the Italian Grand Prix on my iPad. Uh, that was very much one for the purists, you might say. Enlivened by internecine warfare between various teammates, you know, a bit of blue on blue between the McLarens uh, and, of course, between the Ferraris. Drama afterwards as Carlos Sainz was robbed outside his hotel. Now, our man on the ground, our own true crime correspondent, Matt Q. Why is it always Richard Meal watches? Or is it Richard? Do we pronounce it Richard Millier, or is that just ridiculously abstruse? Uh, I, I'm not sure on the correct pronunciation. I defer to Mark on that, but I'm sure our colleague Giorgio Piola is thankful it wasn't one of his timepieces <laughs> uh, being being pinched. The batteries run out. It in is, one of it mine, is an odd one, isn't it? I think I've I've got a spare one uh, if, if you'd like. <laughs> Uh, it is it is odd that they keep keep getting pinched. Is this sort of the the national heroes? And uh, Leclerc had his uh, equally uh, tasteful timepiece pinched uh, after Imola last year. I think it's sort of you know they they can't they can't do right for doing right the Ferrari drivers it seems because the the reason they're in those situations is because they're spending time in packed crowds, signing every hat, taking every selfie. Uh, and sort of in uh, among the commotion, um, they get they get something nicked. I'm, I don't know. I don't know. I, uh, yeah, I, I, it sounds a bit silly, but I don't know why they both Leclerc and Sainz both took it upon themselves year after year to go and go and get these pieces back. I would have thought they're a they're a sponsor piece without too much sentimental value. But I suppose you know, fair fair play to them for putting themselves at risk and and. 
getting it getting it back but it does it does seem an odd one doesn't it but then again it's you know what they what do those things retail for sort of 235 grand and it was three 18 to 20 year olds so I, I was at that age at Sheffield University up to my eyeballs in student debt and I think you know I'm still wearing the same sort of nine quid Casio I had then so perhaps a quarter of a million time piece and it, it speaks to the Beautiful naivety of youth because they get that piece and then what they're going to do, they can't take it to cash converters because they won't have a receipt. And then anywhere after that, we'll go, well, isn't this a watch in the headlines for having gone missing? So um, fair play to them for being so brazen. But um, yeah, it's a bit, bit of an odd one that um, sort of uh, they're, they're, they're held up, you know, put on such as pedestal Ferrari drivers and then they're easy easy pickings for the local woodlands. Is your, is, 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 is your knowledge of the difficulty of selling watches shaped by perhaps attempting to move on your Giorgio Piola <laughs> I could not possibly comment on going to a pawn shop and then going, mate, we need a receipt for this. And I, uh, me turning around going, do you think I'd buy this with my own money? <laughs> Dear Odich, you know, very, very often, you know, we do feature watches in the product section of GP Racing and, and they cover a gamut of costs. And usually, you know, I'm proofing that page and, and I do sometimes, if we've got some some particularly eccentric thing that's like 15 grand or something, I'll go, how much have we got the decimal point in the wrong place? But for how, how does a watch get to be worth 250 grand Are you, what, what is it about watches that make people covet them so and let's now over to our luxury watch correspondent who won't be making a Richard meal of it <laughs> <laughs> it is it is extraordinary I was I was reading the uh, I was reading the story about um, about the watch theft and recovery and looking at the figure so the figure on the story I I read was that it was worth half a million. Is that right? Half a million euros or half a million dollars? Well, that's that's the number that did the rounds. But I went on uh, cash converters, secondhandshop.com or whatever it was, and it was uh, two hundred two hundred thirty-six grand for the equivalent one of the. German so so, any, so anyone saying it's half a mil is clearly doing an insurance job. <laughs> but but this is actually something that I, I've noticed over the years happens within Formula One reporting circles generally. Is you take a number like two thirty-five, and someone will say, well. You know that's that's basically three hundred, and then someone else will go. Well, if it's three hundred, I mean that's basically half a million. <laughs> um, and the same thing used to happen with Formula One team budgets. You know, when people would come and say, "Yeah, Jordan must be running on two hundred and fifty mil," and we'd go, "What over three years? Do you mean? Um, you know, like wh- where do you get that figure from?" So yeah, there's lots of dreaming up of numbers. But anyway, the point I was going to make was whatever that number is, two thirty-five or half a million. You read it and you think, I mean, certainly I think that's completely obscene. And I'm really not sure what the, I'm I'm certainly, I think for the average fan, that's probably not that impressive. And in answer to your question, why is a watch worth that amount of money? It's worth that amount of money because someone is prepared to pay that much so that they can show off to their peers. And unfortunately, I have had time spent with people who regard this as, you know, extremely important that 
size of your watch, the diameter of it, what it's made from, the the inner workings, etc. And and I kind of get it. In some ways, it's not that dissimilar to people who collect, you know, classic cars or you know, and, and anyone else who who prizes something particularly. But it and of course that's the market for for Richard Meal is they're looking for watch collectors, they're looking for high net worth individuals who want to be able to say not only do I have the for, you know the three Ferraris in the garage, but I've also got my my Audemars PK or I've got my Richard Meal on my wrist or uh, whatever. And it's um, I mean I I was recently I say recently two days ago I was in a restaurant in Oxford and there was a guy sitting at another table with a watch that I it was my my wife commented on it and I looked it up online and the watch that this guy was sitting at the next table with is 150,000 pounds and I'm thinking could do am I close enough to leap in with the meat cleaver and cut his well, arm off and steal it I, see I'm looking at it and thinking <laughs> what else would you do with 150 grand and 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 how important does it have to be in your life that you decide that yeah that's 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 the way you're going to spend your money ultimately if people have got the money they can do whatever they want with it but it, i did i read the science story and i thought well okay richard meals a sponsor so they they're probably saying to him please wear that particular watch because that's that's one that we really want to promote and so that i really understand the whole endorsement and brand positioning with with the drivers but nevertheless it uh, it, it it leaves me slightly cold the whole, you know, when I read that, I kind of think, not quite sure that's what the average Formula One fan base needs to needs to hear about or read about. And I'm not sure that's what the average fan base can relate to. I mean, quite. I mean, just, just think how many times I'd have to not take a private jet home from holiday yeah. to save up enough to buy one of those watches. That's, that's an awful lot of flights home with the plebs instead of my, instead of my private jet well since no driver has been injured is it is it too soon to speculate whether it's an inside job because that's now signs leclerc and norris you've had richard mill timepieces sort of pinched or attempted to be pinched so it's great advertising for the brand it's like uh in casino royale where uh vespalin sits down and goes is it is it a is it a rolex james he goes no it's an omega watch it's that kind of real estate <laughs> except it's probably a lot less expensive to uh to pay pay sort of a to a youth to to nick it than it is to uh get it to appear in a hollywood blockbuster so it's great advertising is that the same james bond film where every plane taking off in the background uh, is is a virgin flight it's thinking, blimey miami's got a, a lot of virgin planes <laughs> well richard branson has a small cameo in casino world doesn't he going through the airport security just in the corner of a shot you can oh. see his mane oh d- yeah why, why why can't he just do what he yeah. also he, he ruins Derek and clive get the horn by turning up midway through just as they're sort of stop just being drunk and stupid and are starting to be drunk and funny if 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 memory serves but you know the it's it's not just richard meal though is it there there's a rich tradition of drivers getting robbed you know jensen button and his girlfriend were gassed um i'd seem to recall also you know for, you would think that ferrari drivers would be treated like royalty but wasn't ivan capelli um forced off the road at gunpoint in 1992 or something like that obviously before matt was born but mark might remember yeah i think i do recall that actually um i mean let's face it you don't need to be a rocket scientist as a criminal to work out that targeting formula one 
celebrities would be a good way of trying to get your hand on quite a lot of money. I mean, you only have to think about Bernie Eccleston's daughter being robbed of, what was it, £28 million pounds in jewellery just you know, sitting in her safe at home in London. And, of course, that turned out to be an inside job, um, I think, involving the cleaning lady or something. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, just... Just just incredible. Would you like to hear a incredibly tangential, interesting fact about Richard Meal and Formula One? Yes. Yes, please. So when he started out in his career to become a watchmaker, he worked for a little company near his hometown in Besançon in France. And then the company was taken over by Matra. And oh. Yeah. And, and so Matra decided that because of their excellence in engineering and Formula One aviation, they were going to watch watchmaking and for a brief period of time matra made watches which uh richard meal actually had worked on and um and then they decided that was a bad idea and they sold the whole company to seco <laughs> so it went from went from a very cool brand i think i would consider buying a you know relatively inexpensive matra watch but i definitely can't think the last time i ever had a seco on my on my wrist but anyway that's the richard meal story and then because of all of that he left and then set up his own company and and the rest as they say is history so his name's actually richard meal and not you know Colin Fothergill or no, something No, his name like is that. actually Richard Meal. And uh, his partner, of his, he had a business partner whose name I can't remember, but his business partner basically agreed that the company would be named after Richard. So Richard took his name and applied the brand. And um, and apparently he's a very good guy and a, a super enthusiast, loves his racing, and hence the whole tie-up with, with F1. It's not like those famous sherry manufacturers, Gonzalez Bias, working out who was gonna whose name was going to be first in the sort of um, Steve McQueen being a pain in the backside over whose name was at the top of the billing for the towering inferno. Oh, I hadn't heard that one. Sorry, terrible film tangent. Terrible film tangent. Towering Inferno, good movie, albeit off its time. In another tangent, Steve McQueen was infamous for trying to upstage his co-stars. So as well as the, he, he apparently had his lines, how much dialogue he was due to perform in the Towering Inferno audited because he wanted to have as much as, if not more than, Paul Newman. And he also wanted the, the point size of his name on the billing to be bigger and the name to be higher. And if you watch The Magnificent Seven, you'll see any time he's on screen with Yul Brenner, he's constantly prattling around with his hat while Yul Brenner's talking or doing something to try and get divert attention to him. And apparently they nearly came to blows off screen. So, yes. Anyway, um, in, enough of this mad movie trivia. Elsewhere in GP racing, we have an, another famous, doesn't have to upstage anyone, uh, the long interview with Alexander Wurtz, chairman of the GPDA, despite having been inactive as an F1 driver for, what, 16 years? Retired at the end of 2006. Um, fascinating guy and the only leisure cyclist I know who can actually wear the world champion's stripes on his kit without being considered a colossal prat by fellow leisure cyclists. Alex had one of the fastest accidents of all time uh, in a test at Paul Ricard. Uh, and there's also uh, an interesting video of him on YouTube in an F3 race where he gets taken out by a course car he's just randomly overtaken. So it's, it's no surprise that he should be very safety-minded and he's one of the architects of the Halo. So it's interesting, isn't it, Matt, that Jules Bianchi was one of the drivers who persuaded him to help with the GPDA and, and to reactivate it. And it should all happen during that weekend at, at Suzuka. Kawhi, I don't want to give too much away. People go to 
WH Smith and other retailers and buy on magazine, but it's quite a poignant place for you to end your long interview, which was uh, a bit of a, a bit of a faff to organise in Monaco or Monaco. <laughs> I seem to remember a lot of a lot of chasing around, but you, you pulled it off. But um, yeah, that that sort of final comment, isn't it? That um, you know George Bank, you're being very vocal about. Come on, come on, Alex, you're you're a right representative. And then you know that that weekend was obviously. Suzuka 2014 and whether that's still or how much of a feature that is still or how much of a role sorry that still plays in Bert continuing to sort of lead the GDPA because of a sort of conscience or, or something in the psyche thinking about that Bianchi shunt but yeah it's, it's impressive so I I you know when I was following Formula 1 as a as a kid he was he was probably better known to me then as a test driver and then obviously had that that season alongside Rosberg at Williams. Um, and it's only since, you know, that you've become a bit of a history buff and learning about the MP4 18, I think, they're always catching on fire and the enormous shunts. And okay, there's a little bit in the interview where he says, eventually we had to make a call, I'm not getting back in the car. But the fact that there were half a dozen incidents prior to that and he still kept getting <laughs> back into the car and, and he gives hope to, hope to lanky so-and-sos like me that he can still cultivate a half-decent motorsport career despite being gargantuan and uh, and uh, designers not willing to compromise their monocoque to fit in. But yeah, he's a, he's a really interesting bloke. I think, um, you know, where's to, to talk, tie it back in, you know, for Verstappen, credit where it's due, he, fantastic driver but arguably a bit one-dimensional is it is all about the racing it's not about the music industry it's fashion it's all about the racing verts is so multi-talented so articulate so, a, a proper intellectual and um yeah okay, okay you know alongside russell or, or former gdpa members better we might not make such a big as splash in the wider world but i think it's um He's an incredible asset to Formula One, the safe to drive representing drivers, and uh, long may he continue to be be around uh, the championship. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Isn't it fascinating that the MP418, though it was a, very much a shrink-wrapped car, was actually designed so that he could fit in it, uh, which w when you think that it was in all other aspects a no-compromise car, uh, that's pretty incredible. There's, there, there were a few little nuances. Uh, we had a very long chat and we had nowhere near enough space in the mag to fit it all in. But he, he did also divulge that one of the reasons he left McLaren was that they stopped making the car to fit him 
Um, and that all came about because he did a deal to go to Jaguar as a uh, to, to race. And Ron Dennis decided that actually he'd much rather have Alex as a test driver than leave as a as a and, and become a Jaguar race driver. And and then in the end, scuppered the whole thing. Uh, and and after wrecking Alex's move to Jaguar, told the McLaren designers not to build the car to fit him anymore so in retribution alex grew his hair long because he knew that was the only thing he could do that would really 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 trigger ron dennis he um he's a he's a really interesting guy to talk to because to your point matt you know alex is a he's got a really good intellect he's been around the sport all his life you know from from childhood because of his father's um uh, memorable performances in Lancia Stratos's, which is another reason why I quite like Alex Wurtz because he's uh, he's got a big passion for the Lancia Stratos as I do. So, yeah. um, so he's been immersed in motorsport all his life. He is so articulate on any topic you care to talk to him about. I think you know when I look at some of the pundits that are used uh, by broadcast uh, broadcasters in in Formula One. Not not to say that any of them are particularly bad, but someone like Alec, Alex would be particularly good because he is he is so rounded in his knowledge and understanding of the sport in the broadest sense, and the fact that he's gone from you know extremely capable in a very competitive quick F1 driver into these other roles where he's involved in circuit design, where he's involved in safety, where he's involved in the GPDA. It's, you know, he's a guy who eats, lives and breathes a sport and has so much to contribute to it. And when you, you went, I think a couple of years ago when we were talking about Maybe think maybe on a previous podcast about um, you know who would succeed John Tott in the FIA presidency. I remember having a discussion uh, subsequently with with uh, a couple of people in Formula One about you know future presidents of the FIA, and you know Alex is somebody who you, you kind of you could imagine him moving into that role. I mean, he's not what age is he now? He's only forty nine, so he's he's still got plenty of mileage so you could imagine him moving into a role like that the thing that I always think about when people mention Alex Burtz is I had to get my year right 2004 5 2005 he so he deputized at McLaren for an injured Juan Pablo Montoya and uh, he did it was the San Marino Grand Prix and he uh, he got a podium finished third and I think it was Matt Bishop talked to me about this at some point I mean it was an it was again back going back to your point, um, uh, Cotters, about Ron Dennis's sort of love for Alex. He was that kind of guy. You could throw him into a car, and he would he would go out and perform. So, extremely capable guy. This I think it was great to see this feature uh, because he's one of the perhaps lesser known but incredibly influential people within the sport, and uh, I think his you know his his passion for safety and his uh, leadership at the GPDA has so much to do with his personal life experience in in racing and things like the Jules Bianchi, you know, fatality, which for that very close-knit community down there in uh, in the south of France, you know, which Alex is, is firmly part of, um, it had a huge impact on him. And, and Alex is precisely the right guy to then take a tragedy like that and actually use it to motivate and infect everyone around him with uh, the same degree of enthusiasm for ensuring that safety continues to be 
uh, pursued relentlessly. So I, th- you know, he, he's the perfect guy to have been needing the GPTA. The fact that he's been out of the cockpit for quite a long time, I think, is is irrelevant because he's simply got the intellect to understand the big issues, and he's also got the network of contacts across the driver community, the team principal community, across the FIA, and within Formula One itself. So he's he's well placed to to be in that role. Yeah, you know, in in the interests of of brevity and fitting it into the space uh, allocated and not filling the entire magazine with what with one interview we did have to trim out a, a bit of our discussion about the halo and it was the the nuance of actually getting it over the line uh was was very interesting because um some people may recall in in the genesis of that project various people got cold feet about it and alex was saying you know certain people who've been very vocal in being pro improving safety when they realized that they'd be fitting this thing to the car then retreated saying oh it's going to be ugly it'll ruin the aerodynamics and whatever and people are going to hate it and and he said you know we're, we're not going to lose a single viewer and not we're not going to lose a single fan and it might just save a life and it was partly his willpower that got it over the line as other people stepped back from it you know mentioning no names in various governing bodies and whatnot and he i think he's been proved right because it's it's saved lives you know the there's there's or, or at least saved some certain ser- serious injuries there, there are a few drivers out there who may not actually have been decapitated but certainly would have had a much closer interaction with the underside of another car had it not been for the halo yeah i mean it's interesting um and for those uh listeners who who don't remember the whole evolution of the halo a lot of people within the industry and i mean i'd include myself in that a lot a lot of us who've been around a long time and who who of course recognized the need to improve safety also didn't like the aesthetics of the of the halo and i remember talking to david coulthard about it because he did uh he got he got involved in some aspect of of um the discussions around that maybe even with alex actually and and there was a lot of pushback, including from team principals. I think Toto Wolf, for example, went on the record as saying that he didn't didn't really like the halo. And but then there was that pivotal press briefing. I don't know if you remember it, but Charlie Whiting, where Charlie sat down and basically showed to the media the research that had gone into the development of the halo. And I remember people coming out of that and just going, there's literally no, you, you just cannot argue against the introduction of this. It's, there's been so much work gone into it. And uh, to use that terrible expression, uh, it is a no-brainer. Um, we've got to have it. And of course, now we look back and realise, as you say, Cotters, not only has it unquestionably saved drivers from serious injury, uh, you know, or worse, it does beg the question why something wasn't done earlier. So when you think about, I mean, when you look at Max's rear wheel sitting on top of Lewis Hamilton's head at Monza a couple of years ago, and then you look at, I don't know if you've ever seen the, the slow motion replays of the Roman Grosjean accident in Bahrain where the car goes through the barrier. And I mean, quite frankly, the halo acts as... It's it's just a can opener. It just opens up that barrier, and and it, it, you just dread to think what would have happened to Roman Grosjean if the halo hadn't been there. It was an ex, an extreme example of what the halo could could do, and probably wasn't an a, an occurrence that they ever planned 
a car to go completely through the barrier. But the fact is that when the car did go through that barrier, it wrote that the the barrier, the top part of the barrier rode up and over the the halo. And of course, uh, there have been other examples. And I think the other thing is that, and this is something that we often forget about when we talk about safety in Formula One, is how that then cascades down into lower formula. And you think about the accidents that have happened in lower formula, uh, such as uh, Henry Surtees, uh, you know, uh, a tragic death with uh, a brand's hatch uh, caused by precisely the kind of thing that the halo is designed to prevent, a very large piece of debris, in this case a wheel, uh, coming into the cockpit. So I think the whole, again, go back to the Alex Svert's point, the, the fact that there's someone like Alex at the epicenter of these conversations is extremely important. You need an adult doing certain jobs in Formula One, and, and Alex definitely uh, ticks that box. Codders, one thing I noticed is just when we were milling around Monaco and you were bumping into Vertz every now and again to try and arrange interviews, uh, how incredibly personable he was. So, yeah, it is very nice of him to acknowledge me, someone he's never met before, but he was obviously chatting and engaging a lot with you, which is, you know, not a given for drivers we've encountered over the years. As soon as as soon as you move into different circles, they can blank you and act like you've never met. So um what's what's your relationship like with him? When when did you first come across him? Because you seem you seem quite pally, which is yeah, like I say, nice for someone who's hit the heights and rolls in <laughs> higher circles and us to still to still sort of be that be that friendly and uh, amenable I don't, i've known him for so long i actually can't remember when we, when we first met um but we you know we've, we've done a lot, a lot of stuff over the years um i, I did work for a bit on mclaren's uh, the 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 magazine that Haymarket used to do for McLaren's fan club called Racing Line, so we encountered one another there. Um, he used to do a column for Autosport when I worked on Autosport, and it was there that he developed his peculiar fascination with our wormery. So in, in our house, in in the garage, we oh that's it, yeah, that's what we kept chatting about, yeah, worms. Yes. <laughs> yeah right anyway so carry no, yeah. on uh we uh we, we we recycle our um non-acidic food waste so you know uh anything pretty pretty much anything with the exception of um onions garlic oranges um fruit um meat bones stuff like that uh all all stuff like that vegetable peelings whatever goes in our wormery in the garage and it's basically this sort of a worm house where they recycle everything into this um organic uh liquid that you can use as fertilizer and also a soil improver that you can use you dig this stuff out so yeah this this guy who lives lives in a fourth floor flat in monaco was absolutely fascinated that i i have a, a garage in in the house where basically these invertebrates live and and turn all our food waste into stuff that you can grow in in the garden and yeah for about 16 years he he has generally speaking always said how are your worms when we meet each other how is your vermory but yeah i think you know he's a great guy and 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 that i think is what set him apart from a lot of other drivers as you say matt is that he has that I wouldn't say it's less focused approach, but he has a bigger awareness of 
people. I think probably because he's someone who's had to scrap a bit to make his way in his career. He hasn't had a silver spoon. He didn't, unusually for an Austrian, he didn't have Red Bull backing. So he's always kind of remembered people and 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 he, he so he's not very sort of self-focused he's sort of been aware of the circles he moves in so he he does remember little bits about you and, and he's a very useful person to know because as you know as you say he's very influential behind the scenes and um as as well as doing commentary for tv and what what amused me at the monaco weekend was that uh, he was actually about to leave to do his commentary he had to fly to austria to go and do his commentary on the race where he lives because they didn't actually have an on-site uh broadcasting presence Cutbacks, eh? One of the very few TV channels that doesn't have a 20-person camera cavalcade. <laughs> Is it not the most annoying thing? And I found it, particularly at Silverstone, you were constantly on the verge of being bowled over by TV cameramen or their minders. For instance, at Silverstone, I was literally shoved out the way by this guy who was clearing a space for someone to walk backwards while filming someone walking into the paddock. And the next day, I saw this same person about to shove someone really hard out of the way of his backwards walking cameraman when he realised the person he was about to shove was musical legend <laughs> Will I Am. And then he sort of, oh, hang on. Yeah, the, the television minders yeah. can become a little bit uh, borderline assault because you, you have people, I mean, just because someone happens to be walking in the opposite direction to the camera crew, it's not their fault. And by the way, people who are issued with the paddock pass have every right to be in the paddock um there was a, a rather amusing uh, clip at the weekend of i think it was will buxton doing a on camera interview and uh, he's got this rather large microphone and as he's doing his interview he realizes there's a photographer about to wander in front of the camera and he uses the microphone as a kind of semi-truncheon uh to 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 basically <laughs> shove this guy out of the way and the thing that is remarkable about it is that will doesn't miss a beat because he's actually in the middle of asking a question he just literally just just pushes this guy out of the way continues asking the question and the interviewee is actually the one who's distracted by the whole thing because he's like what the hell's will doing he's like <laughs> he's asking me a question and he's acting as security for the camera for the camera crew but yeah i mean I must say, over the years, you know, there were certain teams that were incredibly precious. Uh, one red one in particular, which used to, they used to have people at the back or front of the garage who would just go around shoving people out of the way in case they got it within, you know, 10 feet of Michael Schumacher. Um, and yeah, now you've got these, these people associated with television companies. And as I say, I mean, not being funny, there have been a couple of times where I've witnessed things happen and I've thought they need to be a little bit careful because it's, there's nothing sacrosanct about the fact that they just because they work for TV, they can't go around pushing people out of the way in quite that fashion. And they don't own the real estate of the paddock. Actually, it's up to them to make their way through. But you also raise a good point about the, the sheer number of people involved in some of these broadcasts. I mean, it's incredible when you walk down, the, as three of us know, when you walk down the paddock and you see two or three pundits standing having a chat about qualifying and those two or three pundits are being supported by i don't know eight ten twelve people all standing behind the camera and um, it would be maybe maybe there's an interesting feature to be done on what the heck they all do um <laughs> maybe that would be something worth us talking to sky about and saying could, could we actually have a 
could we have an insight into what all of these folks do who um, appear to be standing around, but I'm sure are doing some incredibly worthwhile job that, that Sky subscribers have to pay for. Funnily enough, Oleg's been trying to arrange that very feature for the past seven months. Oh, well, very good. Well, I, I my last call before this was with Neil Wooding. He's one of, I'm sure you know Neil. Oh, yeah. Uh, one of the Sky, Sky Sports uh, F1. I think I've got to give him the wrong title now. I think he's a producer there, but he's a very senior guy, extremely into his racing, um, uh, super, super chat. But uh, yeah, maybe next time I catch up with him I'll, I'll say to him uh, give, give them a nudge let's do a feature on what the heck everyone does behind the camera as opposed to in front of it the I, it, there's, there's, there's nothing new under the sun is there I, I've just had a f- memory flashback to I think it's on YouTube um, uh, no less in eminence than Juan Pablo Montoya getting clonked on the head by a TV camera <laughs> as as several crews <laughs> rush to capture yeah. the all important image of Michael Schumacher walking into the uh, Ferrari motorhome and um, he says something along the lines of you totally broke my head or something like that there, there may there may be some swear words in there but we shall of course not mention that on this family podcast well that is it for another podcast um whether it ends up published in our channel or the autosport channel who knows hopefully the right channel uh this month uh thank you for listening uh thank you to my guests um thank you matt q for your enterprising overcoming of your various technical issues i hope your laptop gets better soon actually it won't it'll just get thrown into it'll just get recycled and you'll get a nice new one uh i don't know it might be it depends what level of management are listening to this i'll get a new laptop for word processing and working and this one might have to be retired to uh, uh, Sky Sports uh, streaming duties only. Uh, uh, am I allowed to say that? I hope so. I'll be. Uh, I won't be. I won't be throwing it out. It'll be. It'll be put to good use, but uh, recreational use only. Yeah. Uh, definitely sport. Moving swiftly on to Mark Gallagher. I'm only speculating about what might be on this guy's laptop, <laughs> but funnily enough, it's hard drives always. A, always a clonking. <laughs> If the hard drives are clunking, don't come knocking. Uh, Yes, thank you very much, Mark. Yeah, thank you. It's been great to chat to you, as always. Look forward to uh, normal service being resumed next month, and hopefully your skybox will remain fully active and you won't have to be flying halfway around Europe to get back in time to to do what you need to do. Hopefully, well, next month will probably be in two weeks. Um, Now, in the unlikely event that there there are any copies of GP Racing magazine left on the shelves, you can find out your local stockist by going to seymour.co.uk, as in Principal Skinner from The Simpsons, Seymour, S-E-Y-M-O-U-R.co.uk. They have a store finder. Type in your postcode. Uh, if you don't live in the UK, sadly, there is no similar facility. You'll just have to bash your local news agent over the head into submission until they stock our magazine. Uh, thank you for listening. We'll be back in about two weeks with next month's uh, edition of the Flat Chat podcast. Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.